the Augustin Hosinga Show with your host Augustin Hosinga. Smack the shit out your bitch ass midget girlfriend, nigga. <laughs> Back to the Agostino Zynga show with I, your host Agostino Zynga, and this is episode number 698. This is 698 of the Agostino Zynga show with I, your host Agostino Zynga, and I hope you are well wherever this pod may find you. I hope you are splendid. How am I? I could be better. I'm not going to lie. I could be better. There has been some good news today. I have heard through the grapevine or I've seen actually confirmed via Sky Sports News that Man United, my dear beloved club, are now in negotiations with West Ham to sell the one and only Harry Maguire, the much maligned Harry Maguire, the useless Harry Maguire. Harry Maguire, we probably spent 80 million too much on Harry Maguire. The former captain Harry Maguire is now on the brink of leaving Man United, so I'm happy about that. But I'm still not pleased about our transfer window in general. I think we could have done way more to ensure that we are ready for the up and coming season. I don't really think we are. I think a lot of United fans are really kidding themselves if they think they're going to really, you know, do ourselves justice this up and coming season, especially considering the fact that the teams around us who maybe all the teams that are usually around us that kind of, you know, flat to deceive last season, like the Spurs and the Liverpools and the Chelsea's have essentially all improved and had time to basically bed in whatever play that they did buy to have another go at it next season so I don't think Chelsea are going to finish where they finished last season again this season I think Liverpool are going to do some bits even though they ended last season strong and the rest are always going to be there and thereabouts. so we we're already quite far behind the pack last season we haven't really improved I don't think in general I think there's still a few more holes in our squad I think in general I would far you know in an ideal world I would love a long-term replacement for Luke Shaw because I just don't trust that guy to play at the necessary level for the four entire season he seems to do this thing where whenever his place is in jeopardy or whenever it's contract negotiation times he turns it on and then goes back to form and then kind of reverts back to his kind of previous form I feel like the right back situation isn't really sorted even though Aaron Wan-Bissaka probably earned his contract and then of course we haven't got enough adequate cover in midfield especially for Casemiro's position when Casemiro gets injured or he's been you know suspended last season we saw a lot of big issues and a lot of big holes in our team and I feel like that's probably the way more important position in our club at the moment because it feels like the drop down in quality from having Casemiro play as a DM and then having McTominay or Fred is too too much so we definitely need some cover but at the moment we just haven't got any so I'm a little bit nervous about that but apart from that I can't really complain the sun is shining everything is good and we are just doing what we can with the time that we have available but um obviously this being the action zinger show loads of cultural commentary is going to come your way so let's just kind of dive on into it and stop wasting enough of the valuable time I'm actually considering very very soon to go back and watch flipping Oppenheimer I know the first time I watched it it was like what two and a half hours or however long it is and it did feel like a bit of a drag towards the second half of the movie but I'm still thinking about how amazing that Christopher Nolan directed movie was um, especially in a world where for the most part content 
in the most part TV series, but the most part movies kind of are a little bit dead. They're a little bit rubbish now. It's not the greatest time. I think the people on strike now don't really have much of a leg to stand on when you think about the quality of writing that goes on in some of these studios and production houses and stuff i'm pretty sure you could get a normal decent ai to basically write something along the same lines of stuff that's been written now for these shows so when a real genius director um is able to kind of do what he does best without any you know unnecessary sort of like you know gender gender box ticking or racial box ticking and just is able to try his best to put together a really good movie what ends up happening is that you end up getting Oppenheimer and I was really impressed by it I was really kind of blown away by it more so because of the lingering questions it kind of had in your mind in terms of you know a movie goer thinking what would you have done you know in the place of Oppenheimer um you know where do you stand on that kind of moral decision like was he complicit and did he know what he was doing was he just an innocent scientist or whatever it may be that was just trying to do something you know to help humanity and then you know um he didn't really intend to kind of you know basically set the dominoes falling for the atomic bomb we don't really know but i feel like that ability to kind of leave something resonating in you and again i saw oppenheimer many weeks ago i think maybe three weeks ago so the fact that i'm still thinking about it three weeks later i feel like it's a good sign for how great that movie was and i honestly 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 um really want to go and check it out and see it and um maybe i'm gonna go see it a second time it's gonna be a bit difficult to get through because now i know how long it is i feel like when you ever go to the movies especially myself i tend to not watch trailers i tend to not check the runtime i just kind of go there blind because i just want to you know basically surrender myself to the movie and kind of see where it takes me but watching something the second time knowing how long it is and stuff it might be a bit of a drag so i might need some um chemical help to kind of get me through it but i'm really am considering going and watching a second time and i think that's the greatest review that i can kind of pay to that movie i also like that that he had many different cameos in it where most of the actors didn't really say too many words um especially like really like you know well-known and amazing actors and i feel like that's something as well you don't get enough of because people nowadays if you have somebody incredibly well known you're going to want to get the most out of them but i feel like he does well because he's a very respected director of course Christopher nolan but then everybody else that wants to work in these movies is just happy to be there so they're not demanding that they have like starring roles and stuff so essentially it helps the whole entire story because he's then allowed to just tell the story the way he wants if he just wants to use you for you know a couple of lines or for your face or for an expression or for just your figure whatever maybe that's all included so i really did like um that and i thought he did a really good job of kind of displaying that with some of the cameos that were made throughout the entire series and of course or movie sorry and of course cillian murphy i think that people are calling it's a thing that his, his name is not pronounced syrian right it's called like killian or something i forgot how you meant to pronounce his name but the guy who plays oppenheimer is fantastic more so for the non-dialogue scenes like the play you know the scenes where he's able to kind of emote anguish and torment i think that's the I think, i'm sure those are probably like 
acting class 101 things that you do when you first try to you know become an actor when you go through classes i'm sure that's one of those exercises you do in the beginning to try and express emotion without saying words but jesus christ he does it really well to the point where now his face that anguished sort of face is now become a meme in itself that people are now using all over social media that goes to show just how powerful that whole entire scene was and how much it resonated with people um still to this day i think the most you know the funnest or the one of the best scenes i actually liked two of them was a scene with casey affleck's act um role casey affleck plays some guy i think who's from the fbi is it from the fbi or something no fbi forgot where he's from but he's a general but i guess he's like you know he's involved in the dark arts let's say he's somebody that's obviously an expert in torture and all that kind of stuff right or maybe information extraction or something you know some sort of like pc or like non-brutal way that they describe in a movie and that casey affleck role the way he's able to um you know exude terror and fright without actually being super threatening without being physical without shouting really loudly but you can tell he's a dangerous man you can tell he's somebody that Oppenheimer doesn't want to get on the bad side of and I feel like he did that amazingly so that was a brilliant scene and then the other scene of course is the one where I think Oppenheimer goes to meet the president in and then they're discussing where they're going to drop the atomic bomb and he decides to cross off Kyoto because he says that I think in the movie oh my me and my wife did you know we enjoy going there on vacation and it's a really kind of dark you know joke to make which i laughed at in the movie i think i was maybe one of the only people in a theater to kind of laugh at it but it is something that kind of you know jolts you because you can imagine somebody actually saying that you know in the war room while they're discussing which places to go and eventually bomb they decide you know what we're not going to bomb this place because this is somewhere that you know my daughter likes to go fishing or to go sunbathing or you know i import my fucking exotic horses from here or i like to go to backpack there like it's all those kind of you know really crazy things that sometimes lead to you know these really out you know outside sort of outcomes and it kind of reminds me a little bit of that story that i've kind of shared on here a few times about why a lot of the for a lot of the kind of field raves in london or in the uk in general kind of got shut down and why there was there's a lot of laws around like you know gathering of people in certain places because I think the story goes somewhere along the lines of sometime in the 80s or 90s, they threw a field rave somewhere. And unfortunately, the place where they fit, they threw it was at an estate or the grounds of somebody very high up. And that person had connections with people in the government. And they basically, you know, were pissed off that all these ravers came and destroyed their fields. And um, after that one occasion, they put into action loads of laws and restrictions that basically made it pretty impossible to have really large kind of quote unquote illegal gatherings of these field raves. So all it took was just one minor one minor inconvenience for somebody um, very high up and that completely changed the course of history when it comes to um, dance music and clubbing and whatnot in in London because obviously that does have ramifications to like opening times or whatever it may be and you know it kind of keeps rumbling until now so it's kind of eerie to see that guy be so flippant and basically rub off Kyoto because it's just a place that him and his wife like to vacation absolutely crazy but um again like I said great movie would definitely watch it again if anything of a slight sort of um feedback or slight sort of thing i'd say maybe the second half of the movie um is the best part maybe i think especially if you're coming in there blind and you don't really know much about oppenheimer and the history of the atomic bomb and whatnot but um i still think the first half was great and i, and I love the fact that i really 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 love the fact that um what they end up doing is that they avoided trying to overly explain everything to you 
I love that in the movie. They just kind of dropped you in at the deep end. I thought that was really important. They didn't try to tell you who was who and whatever. It just They just dropped you in the deep end and you just had to kind of gather it along the way. And I think in the most part, if you were paying somewhat of attention, even if you didn't and you slept through it and you just jumped in on the second half, you could probably figure out what was going on in Oppenheimer. So I really did enjoy that. So I'm really, really odd on that. Um, yeah, someone mentioned here, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this, I would say... Well, so I mentioned um, I saw a sex scene. Yeah, the the sex scene I would say isn't odd. I think the more odd part of the sex scene is what happens after, when um, Oppenheimer and the woman that he's with, his mistress, are just sitting down in the chairs, fully naked, talking to each other. I think that's probably the odd part of the story. I think the sex scene kind of is what it is. I think it, he does it fairly well in that regard, especially in the context of the whole movie, him that being the mistress and them having a very kind of you know physical relationship where they kind of can't keep their hands off each other but i think just the scene of them just sitting down after the fact with their fucking you know pussies and their balls on these you know on these very gaudy looking chairs in the hotel it's just a bit i mean like the first thing i'd want to do is get a pair of underwear get some underwear on or put just put a towel on or a bathrobe i mean it just feels a bit odd that they're just sitting there with their fucking you know with their gnashes out having a bit of a chin wag after they're just done banging that was the only strange bit of the whole entire thing but i thought overall um they did it fairly well it came across really good and legitimately like i said i'm definitely definitely considering watching it again but i'm just a bit worried about the runtime and whether or not i might go back there and actually be bored you know actually think you know what maybe this isn't the place for me maybe i should be staying at home but i still do want to watch barbie too i haven't watched that yet i think that's still on the list to go and check out and i think as per usual I would also like to check it out when I'm there. You know, I don't want to go. And so I'd, I would want to check it out in the cinema. I don't want to watch this like on HBO Max or something. I think a movie like that deserves to be watched in the cinema or just not at all, personally. Or maybe it's a movie where I think a lot of people will end up watching Barbie on, on the plane when it does eventually come out on streaming services. It'll probably be available on planes. And I think a lot of people will probably end up watching Barbie on the plane and figuring out, oh, this is actually quite a decent movie. Um, So that probably might happen. But again, I personally would rather that it be um, seen in the cinemas if possible but we'll see what happens and we'll see what happens that's basically what i was doing moving on from that i wanted to quickly touch upon this because i thought this is pretty hilarious right and i feel like this is maybe has now resulted in more people probably having weird anti-semitic thoughts that they probably never had before like it's kind of done the opposite i feel like this has kind of done the opposite effect in terms of you know allowing people to understand maybe the plight of the jewish people am i maybe they might be a little bit sensitive to certain things that i've said i think if anything it's now probably increased the amount of anti-semitic flipping feelings out there this flipping whole affair with jennifer aniston and fucking jamie fox so if you don't know randomly jamie fox out of nowhere decided to post on his instagram which he's fairly you know within his rights to do so he decided to post this very innocuous little post on his instagram where he essentially said the following they killed jesus um they killed this dude named jesus what do you think they'll do to you hashtag fake friends hashtag fake love now considering jamie fox has been literally on death's door and clearly he's gone through some sort of medical uh, you know emergency or whatever it may be that kind of resulted in him having to take some time away from the limelight 
you would assume this statement that he made may have something to do with that, right? May have something to do with the fact that maybe he was out of the limelight and maybe he's found that some of his friends were trying to set him down a river or whatever, maybe, or just being a Hollywood star. It's just something that you hear people say a lot, right? Just, you know, fake friends, people only there when you when they need you, when you can't help them, they're nowhere to be found, blah, 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 blah. Fairly innocuous, fairly round of the mill. It really isn't that crazy. But this whole adage of saying, you know, they killed Jesus, obviously they could kill you too. It's not really a slight on the Jewish people. It's more so to say, if Jewish could, if sorry, if Jesus could get stabbed in the back by those closest to him, what makes you any better, right? That's basically the kind of saying, and everyone kind of knows that. Um, but for some reason, I guess the Jewish, the Jewish community have never heard this saying, or the other thing I'm thinking of why they maybe got offense to it, maybe they know what the saying means, they kind of get it, because, you know, Jewish people are fucking smart, but they don't like it they're kind of saying hey we don't like it because it kind of can be read the other way as if you know you know jewish people you know the whole adage or thinking behind that jewish people kill jesus and shit either way he didn't mean that right so it's one of those classic cases of somebody catching offense at something you said that you didn't mean to be offensive in the slightest now in this case i don't think you should apologize I think a project for stuff like this is really redundant, doesn't make any sense, especially somebody in Jamie Foxx's position. He's gone through enough. Um, he's probably still suffering after effects of whatever he suffered from, which is probably why he hasn't really popped out, popped out, whatever it may be. But still, I feel like you should only really apologize for things that you actually did, um, you know, with with ill intent to some regard, right? In terms of that regard. And then maybe learning from that. But when you did stuff with just no intention of hurting anybody and then people are demanding an apology from you, otherwise they're gonna cancel you. This is basically one of the things that I feel like maybe Kanye was saying without really saying it well. He probably didn't articulate himself the best, but this is kind of in the same sort of vein. And like, you know, there's a certain group of people out there that you just can't in you know you can't offend you can't insult in any kind of way and they're incredibly sensitive to the point where if you say something incredibly innocuous like you know they killed jesus and what do, what do you expect they'll do to you they suddenly taken as offense and they did because the the group called uh a, a wider frame which i'm assuming is some sort of anti-semitic kind of group of people right kind of posted it and they said the following they were like actor jamie fox posts horrifically anti-semitic message to his 16.7 million followers so that is obviously heinous right i'm not a fan of that but the thing that was really bad personally for me wasn't the fact that jamie fox did what he did and then he had to apologize you know I i'm guessing because he's in a vulnerable position he hasn't worked for a while everyone's currently on strike so he actually can't even pop out and do what he needs to be done so he went and apologized i don't really as much as it hurts my soul to see jamie fox apologize for something he did nothing wrong i can understand why he did do it because you know hey you need to pay the bills um, you don't want to get counseled for the for something that you actually didn't mean to do. And if you can't apologize and just move on and continue with your life, forget it. But if it was me, I wouldn't apologize. The thing that was really spineless and cowardly was actually Jennifer Aniston. She liked the post, right? And then I think everybody started attacking her in the comments because she liked the post. And then she tried to clarify that she didn't like the post, but she did like the post. So the, the statement is odd. She posted on Instagram stories. This really makes me sick. I did not like this post on purpose or by accident, which doesn't make any sense, right? So you didn't like it on purpose, you didn't like it on accident. So who liked it then? Are you saying service is a control of your account or what? What are you actually saying here? And more importantly, I want to be clear to my friends and anyone hurt by this showing up in their feeds. I do not support any form of anti-Semitism and I truly do not tolerate hate of any kind, period. Again, 
doesn't involve her wasn't anything to do with her she liked the post that was you know talking about fake friends because i think everybody in hollywood or anybody in a prominent position can relate to that message the fact of being stabbed in the back by the ones closest to you and then because jamie's getting cancelled she panics and then decides to basically throw Jamie Foxx under the bus by saying that what he said was crazy. But she understood what he meant in the first place, but then she's trying to basically throw the other guy under the bus. This, to me, is the most cowardly thing ever. Not so much what Jamie did and didn't, you know, what he didn't intend to do and then he apologized. That kind of is what it is. Kind of, you know, try your best to sort of preserve your career. But Jennifer Anderson doing this is incredibly cowardly and kind of speaks to the overall lack of spine that exists over there in Hollywood. And the fact that all of these guys and gals, regardless of where they are, regardless of how close they are to certain people, they will throw each other and sometimes maybe even their own mothers under the bus if it means that they preserve their position in this you know, fragile Hollywood industry that they exist in where they're only as good as their last project. It's absolutely sickening. And it kind of goes to show that maybe what Jamie was saying was actually real because who knows, maybe Jennifer Anson and Jamie Foxx are actually friends in real life. Like they actually hang out. She's been around his family. They go to each other's houses. They go out for dinner and drinks. And then the first instance of him getting some pushback from the Jewish community for something he didn't intend to say and that was received wrong, she, she immediately throws him under the bus. It just goes to show that there are no real friends in show business. There are no real friends anywhere, really. And if you do find somebody that is your real friend, you should try your best to hold on to them for dear life because more often than not, more often than not, there are people out there that are willing to flip and bury you and throw you under the bus for way, way less. Absolutely heinous. And I hope Jamie Foxx is recovering well because the last thing he needs is this sort of like nonsense stress. But hey, what can you do? And I think the last update from that is that I think I just checked it recently. Jen Fanson has basically disabled all comments on her Instagram because it tends to happen quite often whenever a prominent person gets like, you know, publicly chastised by people, which was good to see, to be honest. Good to see a lot of people on social kind of call her out for basically being spineless and whatnot and um essentially she didn't want to see the replies because everyone just went on her instagram aside commenting and basically saying why don't you apologize to jamie fox for purposely you know liking the comment and then purposely trying to misinterpret what he said when he knew what he said in the first place and she didn't want to say it, so she completely turned off all her comments across her entire social media especially on instagram for the most part you can't comment at all so it goes to show that you know these motherfuckers are spineless and they don't have the the gumption or the guts or the courage to own their mistake and say i'm sorry it's actually quite sickening to be fair actually actually quite sickening but hey what can you do moving on from that i quickly want to mention this also this is absolutely crazy and to me really 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 funny because if anything this is another illustration and another kind of example of what i always say when i you know refer to the idea that even though men maybe have the advantage when it comes to women in terms of you know altercations where you can maybe exert your physical force i personally think there's nothing nothing more damaging than a woman's words to a man like women have the ability to say things to a dude that can legitimately rest in his soul for years upon years upon years to the point where it legitimately bugs him keeps him up at night to the point where he might just you know freak out and take it out on people next to him and you have no idea why this guy's freaking out but he's actually freaking out because of something some girl said to him when he was flipping 12 or something women have that ability and one good example of this is dj academics recently dj academics recently went on a bit of a rant 
regarding the whole Megan Thee Stallion and Tory Lanez thing, which I'll talk about later. And one of these ladies that was covering the whole Tory Lanez and Megan Thee Stallion case called Megan Cunnercliffe, I think her name is. She's been at, at court reporting on everything that's been going on. But, you know, watching it from afar, you can tell she was mostly kind of team Megan, which you're allowed to do, right? If you're an independent person journalist person covering whatever you're covering i don't think it's bad to have a bias but she's been clearly more so on the side of megan which is what it is anyway with that being said she's been inside of megan but she's also been kind of anti-independent blogger like a lot of those in you know bloggers that have pages on instagram have been attending the tory lanes of megan the stallion case and sometimes which they have a tendency to do they've been kind of chasing stories instead of just reporting what's happening in the court um you know in the court proceedings and stuff they've been purposely you know misrepresenting what was said or twisting what was said whatever maybe just you know kind of adding their bit of spice to what they do to stories which is what they kind of do to all stories and i guess if you're a legit journalist that probably doesn't get as much traction as these pages do because maybe they spice up stories but they got hundreds of thousands of followers sometimes millions they get a lot of support from their fans in terms of donations and subscriptions and views and whatever maybe and it's just a way more of a on paper sexier job to be a flipping instagram blogger and have a page like that than it is to work for the rolling stone writing articles about fucking dave portnoy or something business insider right just a feels a bit more fun so for every reason, this Megan Cunnock of journalist woman has had a bit of a stick up her ass about all these independent black blogs reporting on the Megan Asylum and Tory Lanez case. So she recently, when the case, when the case got, you know, done and Tory Lanez has been sentenced, she basically revealed that the judge revealed in some ways, shape or form that the Tory Lanez information, I think some of the stuff that was in the discovery was leaked to academics. And I think at the time, earlier on, when it was leaked to him, people were wondering, how did he get hold of these documents and shit? And a lot of people kind of theorized that maybe Tory Lanez's camp gave it to him because you know, academics and Tory were kind of cool before he went in. He did an interview with him. They spoke, bloody blah, blah, blah. He's adamant that he didn't come from Tory Lanez's camp, but somebody else. But anyway, Megan Cunnicliffe put that information out there that the judge has revealed, you know, that <laughs> that he was in, he got some of the information that he shouldn't have got um, directly from Tory which might have kind of hurt Tory's chances of kind of getting a lesser sentence and in the rant of talking about this woman he starts mentioning Erica Badu and if you don't know academics Erica Badu have an interesting history where many many years ago on Everyday Struggle Erica Badu went on there and kind of trolled the academics and basically called him Jerry from Tom and Jerry which hurt his feelings because Jerry from Tom and Jerry has a very wide fat face which you know unfortunately academics has by birth and also because of his alcoholic consumption and he didn't like that obviously at the time it kind of stung a little bit and it stung so much that five or six years later he just randomly mentioned it <laughs> because some person in the comments says eric badu eric badu um, work your magic so let's play the clip of academics wiling out but it's an absolutely incredible clip because it shows again the power women's words have on some dudes because he still hasn't been able to let this go five years later. Oh, why is it not playing? Why is it not playing? Bear me a second. There you go. Go back here one more time. That's my channel. Like this video. I'll see you guys later. Here's another thing. Somebody said Erica Badu working magic. Erica Badu, let me tell you this. You keep my name out your mouth too. I see you mention. Listen, that whole little everyday struggle shit, that was another era, my nigga. I'm down to violate all you niggas these days. Fuck what y'all got going on. You don't mention my name, please. I'm, I'm just, I'm going to tell you off for it. I don't fuck <laughs> what you need to just, 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 bro, I'm on really disrespectful timing. You niggas got to show me. 
Facts. You got to show me. He's saying you niggas got to show me, but remember, he's talking about a woman, right? He's talking about a woman that's probably old enough to be his mum. That's who he's talking about. He's saying you niggas need to show me, but he's talking about a woman that's like, what, in her 50s? That's old enough to be his mum. <laughs> so just keep that in mind. That little say shit you got going on, don't, ain't fuck with me. Straight up. I'm telling all y'all this because I don't respect y'all. I, I would like to let all y'all know I don't respect y'all. I don't respect y'all like y'all. Don't respect me. Because when I met all y'all, y'all all try to play me. I never fuck with Erica Badu after she came on my show <laughs> when she was trying to be funny. Bitch, I don't fuck with you after that. Nigga, what's up now? What we finna do? You kind of have to own the diss, though. You got to own the diss because, unfortunately, academics does kind of look like Jerry from Tom and Jerry. It kind of just is what it is. Like, the face is what the face is. You kind of have to own it. The last thing I'd want to do in my entire life is let somebody know that they got to me. And one of the ways you let somebody know they got to you is by overly, you know, acting overly emotional at like the slightest kind of diss or also ranting and raving about something that someone said to you, you know, as a joke, as a troll six years ago. I would never do it. I would rather literally D-I-E than let somebody know that they got to me in that way. I'd rather pretend, I'd rather bury it deep, 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 deep down in my fucking subconscious to the point where I don't remember it, but I'm not about to fucking let you know that you got to me in this way. The academics really kind of fucked up in that regard. Bitch, you old asshole just keep getting fucked by all these young niggas who's popping. What we finna do? I ain't fuck with none of y'all niggas. Still. Bitch, call Tyrone, call Jamal, call everybody. Big Ack is here. None of y'all niggas ain't finna do shit, my nigga. <laughs> I'm telling all y'all the real about it. I see that bitch follow me. I'm like, bitch, why are you following me? I don't fuck with you. I'm not. Big up Erica Badu for the fucking 4D chess move. She followed, she fo she dissed him on a show and then randomly followed him. <laughs> There's nothing better than getting somebody by just killing them with kindness, right? Acting like you're completely oblivious to what, how they're feeling and how pissed off they are and just kind of, you know going about your everyday life knowing full well that they're fucking you know picturing arguing with you they're picturing running into you and doing something to you or you know reading you down and you're just kind of living your everyday life double tapping their pictures leaving them nice comments wishing them happy birthday <laughs> that's the best way to do it ain't no, no joke with you you and your little twitter following or whatever the fuck you got bitch you came up in here and Raving around Sage and all that type of shit. Fuck y'all niggas. Y'all niggas gonna have to show me now. I'm sorry. I've gotten to the point. Y'all got to show me. Y'all got to show me. Ack is at the point. You got to show me. You got to show me. If you don't show me, I'm, I'm gonna disrespect y'all. You got to show me. You have to show. I promise you, you have to show me. I'm at the point. You have to show me. And I've always said, I think part of the reason why Ack is always like this and has kind of got this weird... Um, tendencies to not let things go and kind of overcompensate my theory is that ever since that Vic Mensa running when Vic Mensa appeared on Everyday Struggle and basically said he went to slap um, you know academics and kind of sunned him live on air and academics said okay and kind of bitched out I think ever since then he's regretted that and I think most men have that. I think I've had that instance my my time in my life when I was growing up. You know, I'm even stuttering mentioning it now, but I've I've had that instance when I was growing up where I got into a fight when I was super young that I started losing, and then instead of fighting back, I just started running. <laughs> I started running away, and the guy was chasing me down the street, 
And I remember that thing kind of like eating away at me for a long time until I started like, you know, taking up a bit of Muay Thai, doing a bit of boxing and stuff and training. And, you know, I got my wins in a few street fights here and there. And over, over the time I got my wins, I got my W's, but I didn't run, right? And I had to kind of get over that by putting myself through that kind of thing. And I think most dudes have that. Like you get sunned once, or you get embarrassed once or you lose a fight once and sometimes if you don't get your lick back it can really eat away at you and I think ever since that Vic Mentor point where he kind of got I wouldn't say emasculated but he kind of got sunned he kind of got made to feel like a pussy he kind of got talked down on and he was a laughing stock of the internet for a long time and then again following that we saw how he reacted when Joe Budden got into that Pasa Pasa with Amigos on a red carpet and he was like shuddering and flick you know fidgeting with a fucking microphone it just didn't sit right with him so despite him making millions millions of dollars right being very successful having a huge fan base and essentially kind of being self-made which is incredible right to think that he's kind of made this incredible career all off of just like ranting into a camera about hip-hop shit right which is great to see you can still tell that whole time of like you know getting sunned and being looked at as a laughing stock and maybe even school because he always kind of strikes me a little bit of somebody who maybe wasn't the coolest in school but now it's kind of, you know, his come up, he still isn't able to let it go. I think you should be able to let it go. Like you've achieved, achieved what you've achieved. You shouldn't be trying to, you know, overcompensate and trying to prove yourself by screaming and shouting at women or screaming and shouting behind your computer. If he's saying people have to show him, I think he also has to show people. Academics needs to, this is my opinion only. I think academics needs to have a very public fight with somebody, especially more you know preferably a guy if he does a girl thing it's not gonna happen but act needs to have a very public fight with somebody physically with fist and not lose it may be even but just not lose he just needs something like that he needs something he just needs one fight with somebody whether it's little baby whoever it is throw hands like people be like oh shit academics has actually got good hands he's got a good chin like he just needs one of those kind of fights and then he'll be set but until he has one of those kind of fights he's always going to be looked at as a bit of a laughing stock, which I wouldn't mind. If you have the money that he has and you, you have the ability to kind of talk to your fans when you need to and all these brand deals, you shouldn't worry about people thinking you're a pussy or people thinking that you don't get girls or thinking that the girls that you deal with are ugly. Whatever the people think about you, like thinking that you're not cool, that shouldn't really matter if you've got the things that he kind of wanted, right? Which is cars, money, like, you know, independence, all this sort of stuff. That shouldn't be a worry, but clearly it is. So if it is a worry, he needs to just text little baby text whoever else he doesn't like as a dude meet up meet me wherever it may be and just throw hands the moment he throw hands at that person especially if he wins he's gonna be safe forever no one's ever gonna talk shit about him ever again but until that happens he's always gonna be mocked i'm actually and i actually can't wait to see what erica Badu says as a, as a reply miss came here waving on top of wands and shit i'm trying to be nice to you now i realize oh you was trying to play me like i'm some clown Bitch, fuck you, nigga. How many how many rappers that ran through you, nigga? Nothing you. Stop playing, nigga. How many young rappers you, you chase, nigga, trying to fuck them too? Stop playing, nigga. Fuck is you talking about? I'm not playing with none of y'all. That bitch can't mention me straight up. I'm telling you, I'm on that. I'm on that. I'm sorry. Y'all got to, y'all have to show me. You will have to show me. I'm sorry. Man, I know three rappers that ran through you, fucked you, did all type of shit, bitch. You just like a, like you a comrade for these niggas. You ain't about to play with me. 
You about to play with Big Ike? You a comrade? The fuck is you talking about? I'm sorry. Y'all niggas gotta show me. I'm sorry. I'm on that. Y'all gotta show me. Y'all gotta show me. Nigga, I sat on that for five years. Y'all gotta show me now. Y'all gotta show me. I'm sorry. I gotta show me. Don't, don't follow me. I'm now following you back. Don't fuck with you. Don't fuck with them jokes. Ain't no, oh, Jerry. We ain't fucking with that. You gotta show me. You're Imagine blocking somebody for following you, just for following you. Do people do that? Like, you don't like somebody, but you just leave them alone, they leave you alone, but then they start following you. Do you just go through and just say, fuck it, block them? I don't wanna, you, you can't see my stuff. <laughs> Which is really dumb because all they need to do is just open a new account and they can see it anyway. It's kind of a bit, you know, redundant really, because if they really wanna see your stuff, they can just see it. It's easy. <laughs> Dude, chick who 45, I'm sorry. Get the fuck one out of here. Uh, I'm keeping it like that. The disrespect gonna stay up for everybody. Somebody said, pull it. Yeah, I get off stream, but I ain't taking shit down. I'm telling you, they have to show me. If they don't show me, I'm going to continue saying the same thing. They have to show me. Have to. Somebody said it was a joke. Well, this is a joke for me. You're a rant to bitch. <laughs> You're a rant to bitch. What's up? <laughs> I don't take no joke lightly, my nigga. I don't take none of that, bitch. I'm sorry. I I'm, I'm on that with y'all. I don't take none of that shit. Like um, Seven Dirty is saying, why did he talk about like this to women? To be fair to Ak and the content I've seen of his and the live streams I've watched, he actually is quite even. He does this to everybody. The one thing about Ak, I think, he's always going to fire from the hip and talk really aggressively first. Then when somebody claps back or says something to him, he'll then settle down. He did the same thing with um, Carisha and then Diddy had to get at him and told him to relax. He'll always go at guys and girls the same. He always attracts them with the same letter of vellum, especially if he doesn't know who they are. Then when they reach down behind the scenes, he'll come back and start copying, please. But this narrative that he only goes after women super hard isn't, isn't true. If anything, the one thing that academics does that I don't like as a dude is that he is kind of like involved in women's business. He's a bit messy in that regard. He likes to get involved in women's business. So because he gets involved in women's business, he then will talk about them the same way he talks about the guys. But it's not like he's picking and choosing. It's just going to be funny because most likely Jay Electronica or somebody is going to reach out to him behind the scenes and you're going to see a very different act on screen the next day, right? Or the next stream. That's the only thing that I kind of don't like about it. Like if you're going to, if you're going to have this energy people, I think it's a bit, you know, obviously it's not the greatest to be shouting and ranting and raving at a grown woman that is old enough to be your, your mum in this regard, in that kind of level of seniority. But if you're going to do it, stand on it, you know, don't start copying please later down the line when certain people get in your ear, like you did with Carisha. No, if you think she's a dumb dumb, you think she's a fucking bimbo, you think she's fucking low IQ, you think she's not really a city girl, whatever you think of the girl, cool, but stand on it. Don't just buckle because somebody high up in the industry says something to you because he always preaches that he's like, un what do you think called? He always preaches like how happy he is to do his own thing and he doesn't, he's not ruled by the industry, but then the other side is some, certain people get in his ear, he's quick to kind of turn and sort of like let them know, hey, I didn't really mean it, I didn't really mean it. Lightly, man. I've been done take jokes lightly. I ain't take none of that. <laughs> Man, dude, stop playing, man. I don't care who it is. <clears throat> Y'all gonna have to show me. You know why? Because I made a career. I done did everything I needed to do in this industry.
in my career without y'all. And I know trying to pander to y'all would never work. Mm-hmm. So why would I ever try to? I'm sorry. This is why Big Act ever existed. Because when I tried to be like, oh, I'm just happy to be here. Y'all shitted on me. Y'all treated me like a herb. Y'all treated me like, <laughs> y'all treated me like a loser. So now I'm going to shit on your legacy. And I'm going to shit on you. And I'm going to tell you to suck dick. And I'm going to tell you everything disrespectful. You have to show me. Because now I'm done. I done got what I wanted. I'm done rich. I'm mad lit. You have to show me. And I'm. That's the thing, though. If you're mad lit and you're dumb rich, why is the words of this woman, what she said to you five years ago, still affecting you to this day? You know, he kind of talks out of both sides of his mouth. Like he's talking big, but his actions are proving that he's clearly hurt, which you're allowed to be. I don't, you know, I don't begrudge the guy for feeling hurt, but because of what she said, you know, it kind of is what it is. You can't tell people what not to be hurt by. But personally, for me, I think this is a weak move because it exposes that you're hurt and you're clearly in your feels. And it clearly shows that, you know, people can get at you by just saying certain things that you act like don't bother you, but they clearly do. Because he kind of makes jokes about his own face and how fat he is, but clearly it's an insecurity that he can't really let go, even though he's got all the money and all the clout and all whatever he needs to do. So clearly that's an issue. So I'm eager to see what fucking um, Eric Badu's response is. Hopefully she just posts a fucking smiley face emoji. That'd be the best way to sort of counteract it. But yeah, academics is on a mad one. He's not having it. Um, he's fucking letting everyone flipping have it and just getting at them for the sake of getting at them and absolutely love it. Um, and then the other one which I flipping love is this random clip, right? Again, this is something that's fucking hilarious. So I guess on that, again, maybe it's because Megan Cunnicliffe, Megan Cunnicliffe, the reporter that's re- that was in the court, you know, reporting on everything going on with Megan Thee Stallion and the fucking Tory Lanez case, she has a lot to answer for. I think she's she's the one to blame for all of these women, unfortunately, getting, you know, stray bullets courtesy of flipping academics because he had another victim on his flipping list of people that he went after during that rant. The other wh- victim he went on was flipping scissor of all people. He start he wanted to then go and attack scissor for some random reason. I'm not really sure what the reason is. I'm sure they've got some past beef, but I would love to think the reason why academics isn't a fan of scissor might have to do with the same reason why he's not a fan of tinashe because the tinashe thing is hilarious because if i'm mistaken i forgot who it was i think who was who was it it might have been i forgot who it was but somebody basically told academics that tinashe doesn't like him or something right and i think it was then revealed that i tried to holler at tinashe behind the scenes but she wasn't having it she's not she's not wasn't she wasn't a fan of ak and kind of you know told him in no uncertain terms nah and since then ak has fucking hated tinashe so i wonder if the scissor thing is the same thing maybe you tried to holler at scissor she curved him and he got offended by it <laughs> and ever since then he's fucking hurt he's fucking hurt so he decided to jump on this viral semi-viral pictures of fucking um scissor coming out of a bar club restaurant or whatever not looking her greatest and he decided to kind of rag on her and this is a fucking crazy way to go out here academics ragging on scissor so i'm sorry i'm sorry i don't know what she did to me but like i've been had it on for her like fuck that i'm on time and i'm sorry to say yes i'm on some liquor but i don't care a fuck about these hoes anyway i ain't gonna lie the lipstick is the, the lip gloss is popping and by the way i do love my melanated queens you know what i mean this little see-through thing you gotta get you gotta get the titties right the titties is not looking tittying because right now i can't distinguish the titty from the stomach you look like you just got a whole motherfucking like bulletproof vest on your whole shit is flat 
Your ass be fat sometimes, but I'm telling you, you got to get back on the knife more frequently. Jesus you love to eat. You are an eater. You're an eater. It's cool. I like to eat too. But chicks like you, I'm going to go with the gut. Y'all don't catch me with the Gucci man gut. Y'all going to have to deal with that. They, they already see my gut on the gram. X try to put the gr gut on the gram. They had a couple little bumps on it because, like, I've been trying to work out. Like, you know what I mean? I had an in-girl on here. They try to say I had some shit. I don't care. I'm a nigga. But y'all be fat just like me, looking like a linebacker. Your neck thick is like a 32-pack of Franks. And now y'all acting like y'all bad. You fat as fuck. Let's keep it a bean. You know you've been under the knife mad times. We don't care how much you show that little botch BBL. You need to get back to the doctor one more time. And I'm going to stand on it, man. We'll still... F don't get it fucked up. We are niggas. It don't take much of us to fuck. We're still... F but you got to get back to the doctor. It's not the cameraman. You're just like, yo, your body right now is in the part where you should be... I think... I was in Miami. I'm watching these bitches. The BBLs and all that shit done. Bitch, you need a corset. That's what you need right now. Jesus a fucking corset. Suck the shit in to make you got like a big ass with a flat stomach. Because right now what I'm looking at, bitch, you look confused. Second of all, I don't know what's going on with your head. Ain't no way you catch a tan on this part of your hairline. And then there, this part is like this another color. So I got to imagine this is a lace front. But scissor, let me give you the truth. This is the ether that's going to make your fucking soul burn. I don't care how many albums you sell. You double chin. Right, let me not say hold. I shouldn't say that. I apologize for that. You double chin chick. I'm sorry. I love you, by the way. You're a great musician. I'm sorry. You are just as fat as me. The doctors, the fucking surgeons can't fix you. Okay? You're going to be getting cut up like fucking. Yo. You're going to get, you know the little surgeon game you give to kids? They're going to cut your ass up all day long. You're always fat, just like me. It's cool. Jesus Christ. Right there, but that's the fact. Yeah. I don't give a fuck what y'all told me. I cancel whatever. I don't give a fuck about these hoes. And I'm just going to keep it a bean. She's as, all these bitches who be saying like, yo, act you fat. Bitch, you got a BBL. You're fat like me. You can't call me fat if you got a BBL. Bitch. You know what a BBL is? I'm sorry. Scissor. The lip gloss, the fake teeth, it doesn't matter. You're just a fat mini Lizzo <laughs> at your heart. You make great music. We love you because you make great music. But you'll never be one of those bitches that we're looking at and our dicks get really naturally hard for. You are chasing this thing that entertainment think... This is why I like Rod Wave. Rod Wave sells out stadiums. He doesn't say, oh, let me get a six-pack. He says, you're going to catch this fucking gut. You're going to catch this fucking cellulite on my thighs. I'm going to show you the triple chin, and I'm going to sing this song. I got my heart on. I he going to sing that shit. You chicks are so, like, fucking self-conscious that you're singing shit. You're singing music about your feelings. But all you care about is the triple chin that's forming. And yes, yes, that's one chin. And you know that's another. It's cool. You just got to get the doctor to chop that bitch up. But make sure they give you the right anesthesiology. We don't want you to be, we don't want you to be like, 
You know what I mean? There's a couple of people who kind of like, who had that song that told my bitches down? Yeah, we don't want you to be, you know, yeah. <laughs> we don't want you croaking out over the fucking, yeah. But this is the truth. Scissor, as long as you live, you could be a millionaire. You could be make the best songs in the world. You know, when you seen this photo <laughs> and you seen the triple chin, you seen the fucking, you look like a linebacker. And there's no definitions from your titties to your fucking gut. Jesus you Christ. We're sad. And it's cool because sometimes money can't cure all the issues. So you could get under that knife every single time and they'll cut you and they'll cut you and they'll keep trying to carve you up. And I remember the last time I talked about your fucking little BBL. And remember when I talked about it and you were trying to flex? Look, scissor. Anyway, you got you get the gist of what he's saying, right? Um, Ak is not a fan of scissor. Now, the amount of pot kettle black moments in that whole entire es you know rant is fucking legendary. There are so many instances that he said some stuff that could easily be applied to him, especially you know the saying of like, "Oh, money doesn't cure everything." That is the most probably blatantly insecure rant I've ever seen in my entire life. Now, I'm gonna take a radical POV. Or radical stance, you know, uh, for better, for a better saying, I don't think what he said is bad. If you believe what you say, just stand on it. I don't want him to now come back and start crying when other people dress him down the way he dressed down Scissor. I don't want you to mention your cars. I don't need to mention how much money you have or how big your fucking house is or how many girls you fuck when somebody else tears you apart the way he tore apart Scissor calling her out about her looks talking about how you know what she thinks about herself all this malarkey if everybody rips academics the same way i don't want to see him cry i don't want to see him cop please and i don't want to see him use his materialistic things as an excuse for why he looks the way he does you can't do that and also it's just funny because it's funny coming from him because we've all seen what academics as girls look like unfortunately right it's just you know it's not a slight on the women themselves they they have innocent you know parties in this but we've seen the quality of women that academics attracts. And I have to say this just from the, you know, from the camp of the hetero guys out there. I will take scissor on a bad day, right? I'm taking scissor on a fucking bad day <laughs> over any, any flipping person that flipping, you know, Ak has been seen with or arguing with or has tried to expose him. I'm taking scissor any day over any of the ones that he's had. And, you know, more than likely, Scissor in any flipping environment would, would probably touch this guy with a 10 foot barge pole. So the fact that he's coming at her so hard is hilarious. It's sort of like some, it's sort of like if I just randomly started ranting and raving on here about Megan Good or something, right? Talking about how ugly she is and whatever. It doesn't really matter because, you know, my opinion isn't valid because she'd never looked my way in the first place. It's that kind of idea. So it's really interesting. But I think this rant. I think it goes on for another five minutes, right? The video is, uh, I've only played five minutes of it, but it goes on for another five. It's a 10 minute 51 clip of a live stream. I'm going to go and say with some level of certainty that I think the Tinashe thing happened with Scissor 2. I think in the same way that Tinashe allegedly rejected, you know, academics advances, whether he tried to ask her to be in his podcast or tried to ask her out for a date. I think the same thing happened with Scissor. I think academics tried to get on Scissor early. You know, when Scissor was accused of being a liar and would always kind of have the fake freckles and shit and didn't look as she does now, she didn't have a glow up. I think Ak might have reached out to Scissor early before even Control come out. He thought he kind of spotted a kind of, you know, a slayer hottie that no one knew. 
you tried to get in her DMs. And even back then, she knew, now nah, you're lame. You know what I mean? I'm not going to do this. And she said no. And I think ever since then, because back then, I'm assuming Ak was probably, you know, well, more well-known than her probably. He probably had more money than her. He probably just assumed, like a lot of guys do online now, there's, a, there's this weird... I don't know. There's this weird like group of guys who exist now who purposely who no who actually believe in their hearts that if they just amass a certain amount of money in the bank that it kind of opens them up to having whatever woman they want. They just I don't know why they think that. I just think some guys honestly think that every person out there is kind of driven by money, which they aren't. And um they kind of strive to it and then when they finally get it and realize that some women just won't ever fuck you regardless of how much money you have, it's a bit of a reality it's it kind of fucks with their reality, you know? It fucks with their reality and their sense of fucking, you know, um whatever the sense of being that everything that they've kind of worked for to get to a certain level to allow them access to a certain caliber of woman is kind of null and void because they just don't like them as people <laughs> more so than the money of the bank so again another one i'm eager to see what happens next hopefully scissor does reply because i'm hoping that her reply is going to be something stingy and something harsh and it definitely is going to be something that um is going to be interesting to see academics going kind of back and forth with not only erica badu but also scissor on the timeline which i think isn't going to help his reputation of being known as somebody that bullies women but doesn't have the same energy for men i don't think that's true because like i said before i think there's plenty of evidence of academics being very you know rash and going after guys the same way does women but i think this story so far isn't the greatest for him so let's wait and see what happens but yeah <laughs> academics is on a mad one <laughs> academics is on a fucking mad one um next story i want to talk about um what's his face nba young boy and i love mcconan especially i love mcconan now I've got sympathy for I Love McConan because I feel like I've had the similar thoughts as I Love McConan. I think most people who work within the creative and, you know, industry or the entertainment industry, because those industries are very hard to kind of crack and to kind of break through, there is no template to make it as an artist, as a DJ, as a creative director, as a stylist, as a producer, as a photographer. It's just difficult, right? You just have to kind of slowly but surely plug away and then when your chance comes you take it you take it right there is no kind of path to kind of get to the top so sometimes when you're a struggling person or maybe a struggling artist or maybe you had your little kind of five minutes of fame that Isle of McConan had then you kind of disappear into obscurity because people maybe stop fucking with you or because your music isn't good or because you fell out with the wrong people whatever the case may be you can sometimes have fantasies of getting back on top and then shitting on the people who didn't try to like who didn't help you who didn't reach back who didn't respond to your messages or who kind of like acted like they were too big for you because you fell off right it can be quite tempting to have that feeling and i know we've i know, I know i've had those feelings in my head especially when it comes to you know i'm not really the most like um you know mixy networky kind of like you know what you call it shake hands kissing babies types so i think that can kind of stunt your progress sometimes if you're not able to kind of you know do the whole ha ha he he game so i can understand isle of mcconan's position but i think he did maybe do a bit of an oopsie doozy there i think he kind of fucked up with his approach so let me explain the story so isle of mcconan ended up collaborating randomly with nba youngboy 
Um, NBA Youngboy seems to be those type of people who doesn't really care about your clout or how well known you are. He seems to be really a people person. Like if he vibes with you and he likes what you're about, he's going to do a tune with you. And I guess um, Isla McConan's kind of been a bit, you know, out of the spotlight and not basically the most litest he's kind of been because of maybe him getting dropped from OVO or getting released. And then maybe the him kind of coming out and, you know, and telling everybody he's gay and stuff. Maybe that's kind of, you know, negatively affected him. But in general, he's kind of been a bit cold. So everyone was surprised when they saw somebody that I, like NBA Youngboy, he's one of the you know hottest people in the industry at the moment, kind of just agreed to collaborate with with Alev McConan. And then you see the videos of them hanging out and stuff. And it generally looks like he kind of like likes him as a person and was happy to kind of work with him. So it was a really good look for Alev McConan. So that happened, the tune come out, everyone's kind of happy with it. It's a good little look for Alev McConan to kind of get back out there and put his face back about and get back into the algorithm and whatnot. And then I guess Alev McConan was feeling himself was a bit annoyed because, because, right? Because <laughs> all of these people who I imagine probably weren't reaching back and get, hitting him up and, you know, maybe leaving him on red, decided to reach out to him and say that they were, you know, that they were feeling his new tune he did with NBA Youngboy. And he decided to expose them via the instagram dms and i've got some of the dms here that people have taken screenshots of because i've no he took a screenshot of it and shared on his instagram stories so this is the first post um from a dms that he had with metro Boomin. so it shows here it shows here that i love mcconan had been messaging metro Boomin before right if you can see here the flipping texas right it shows Isle of McConaughey has been messaging at Metro Boomin. He tagged him in a couple Instagram posts. There's maybe a little sliver of an emoji there. But so far, you can see there are one, two, three interactions that Isle of McConaughey has had with Metro Boomin. And Metro Boomin hasn't replied once. No double tap on a comment, no nothing, right? No emojis, nothing. So he just left him on scene. But then as soon as the video came out of um, Isle of McConaughey with NBA Youngboy, Metro Boomin immediately replies to him without him actually saying anything to him. He says, What's good, family? We gotta shake the ground up. We gotta shake the world up again. So, after ignoring him for what feels like what, let's say on paper is like three months, right? He now suddenly replies to him and says, What's good, family? <laughs> yeah, which is super insulting because, you know, he didn't reply to me before and all of a sudden now we're family because I'm, I'm collaborating with one of the hottest guys in the scene now and we've got to shake up the world. So clearly that's going to hurt. And then the second screenshot, I think maybe Sway Lee. Yeah, the second screenshot is Sway Lee, which is even worse. Um, he says, Happy be there to Sway Lee last year. Nothing. He says, Yo to him in October 12th. Nothing. He says, i.e. to him in October 23rd, nothing. He then posts something about Sway Lee, um, you know, sharing his music to him on Instagram and nothing on April the 13th. Three absolute air pies. And then randomly, Sway Lee replies and says, new shit, hard foo. So again, I would be annoyed by that if I was him. And then the last one, I think, I think it's Post Malone. Um, he says um, to Post Malone in November, Hi, can I come to your show tomorrow in Portland? LOL, probably never going to see this. Post Malone never replies. <laughs> then he posts him, then he texts him, then he texts, then he um, puts him on another flipping, um, no, sorry. Uh, he mentions him in another story here on July 27th and he doesn't reply either. And then again, randomly, he says, I love you so much, dad. I miss you. Thank you for the love. When are we going to jam? So clearly it kind of shows that you know 
the industry is a little bit what can you do for me lately and is obviously an industry where your friends are only your friends if you're hot if you're not hot then your popular friends don't become your friends because you're not useful to them and I think we all know this to be a fact I think if you're a creative or you work in the creative industries or whatever it may be it can be difficult to resist this urge to air out people like this but I think in the long term it is kind of um it is not helpful to your long-term career for people to know that you're the one who has a tendency to flip out and freak out at things that I think are a normal occurrence. Should this be something that is kind of discouraged? Of course. Is this something that's nice to see where you reach out to somebody to kind of work with them and they're not replying to you because they feel like you're cold and they're not going to gain anything from it? Of course. But I feel like this happens to literally everybody. So it's mostly on you as an artist to make sure that you are at a level where you're hot enough where these occurrences don't occur anymore right where you don't have the ability there's no possibility of you kind of falling out of love where then it's going to affect your personal relationships i feel like you kind of have to play the game a little bit better and i think in general i'm a big believer in kind of playing the game as it is and not trying to you know force the world to be the way that you want it to be so if the industry is a bit fake if the industry is a bit what have you done for me lately then play that game become as hot as you can on your own do it you know in the same way the nba young boy kind of did it right do it on your own on your own accord without kissing anybody's you know without kissing anybody's bum and essentially you can call your own shots because then you will then become undeniable and everybody will want to work with you because of that and i feel like i have kind of over the years started to understand that in my own line of thinking even though I was always kind of like that I never really understood people who would go out their way to ask for help and stuff and this kind of stuff like even the stuff he's requesting I think in general you should know better than if you're if you're out of Makona regardless of what relationship you had with Post Malone before you should know better than reaching out to him directly to try and see if you can come get tickets to go to a show just buy the tickets you know buy the tickets yourself go to the show and then try and sneak backstage and see if you can meet Post Malone that would be a better way to kind of go about it if you're out of McConan. if you're out of McConan, you should know that you know Metro Boomin one of the hottest producers out at the moment isn't probably going to want to produce with you because he's at the you know he's collaborating with fucking The Weeknd and shit do you know what I mean he's collaborating with all the biggest hottest people at the moment so you should be trying to get your clout up get your name out there again restart your career and then reach out to him if you can that way so you become somewhat mutually beneficial for both of you in that regard you can't go into these kind of things expecting things when you can't don't really have nothing to offer and i feel like in general as as, as crash said um it's kind of bad for i love mccona because part of the reason why he got dropped from ovo you know not to do with the whole gay thing but because of you know the things he might have said about drake and shit that's the reason why he's been kind of out of favor in the industry because he just burns bridges because he's clearly somebody that people probably don't like too much in a personal capacity. One, you know what I mean, he kind of talks too much. He gets too emotional. He says stuff in public. He shouldn't say, and I feel like this isn't going to help him. If anything, he should have just rid the wave of positivity off the back of that. I love an NBA young boy song, got the most out of it. And then later on, if you want to air people out, air people out. But airing people out just as that Shun Shong job is a bit dumb because we all know this industry is fake. We all know the industry is full of, you know, um, empty fucking love and fake love, whatever. We all know that all the guys out there that are saying so-and-so is their family, so-and-so is their brother, it's only because they're well-known, it's only because they're popular. Like, I've said this in the longest time. I've always been annoyed at the fact that, especially in the art scene, especially here in London, there's a lot of people who will go around you know posting 
congratulations or I'm so proud post on Instagram of their friends and usually their friends are verified on social media usually they work really cool jobs usually it's a very cool promotion or you know more often not it's a cool promotion it's them working at a cool brand and a cool job and a cool capacity but you rarely see these people on their Instagram pages you know being proud of a friend of theirs who you know became an area manager of a retail store over a chain of retail stores right it doesn't happen it's always i'm so proud of my friend for doing the photography for balenciaga or for modeling for balenciaga or because their brand is in this store that's why they're so proud of so if that's the case then you just have to try and get to a level that somebody can say that they're proud of you and just use it to your advantage you shouldn't be trying to air people out in that regard and see it the way it is um personally that's what i would do anyway but um obviously um out of mcconan you know you can't tell people how to feel offended and how not to respond to things especially if he's been out in the cold as much as he has the last post here um out of mcconan didn't stop off of those dms i guess the one person who really got offended i think you know a clear example of knowing that you did something wrong is the way you respond and clearly Sway Lee didn't like that he got aired out the way he got aired out and he decided to go in the comments and reply back to him I love McConan and he said the following Sway Lee said bro I was saying that you I was saying that to you Goofy not for any reason besides spreading love I'm good in the game I knew you was throwing up on shrooms bro relax the fuck i saw you on the to heard a new jam and privately told you it was hard don't be that guy that's what's funny though bro and i think don't be that guy is the one right that that little saying that is essentially him saying without saying don't take shit personal i know it's a bit harsh what i did and it's a bit cringe and awful it makes you feel bad because i'm now only replying back to you because you've got a good song but that's the reality of the industry it kind of is what it is don't be that guy you know what i mean kinda just be cool but obviously you can't tell I love McConan how to be offended. And he replies back and says, yes, it was a beautiful garment and you stayed booked and busy. Working is no denying. You have a nice day. Post a link if you like the album rollout. You should have been outside, but you was ignoring my, you was ignoring a nigger. <laughs> so I like the fact that he's on this time. I'm not going to lie. It is quite nice to live vicariously through him. But I think if that was me, I would be a little bit more, you know, I'd play the game to my favor. If Swaley's in my DMs, jump on a track with me. Let's get the track going. If Post Malone's in my DMs, jump on a track with me. Let's get a post going. I mean, use it to your advantage. Use that fucking clout to kind of get the most out of it because this is kind of stopping your blessings, really, because it's making you look like you take things too personally. And then it continues. He says, we can chop it up anytime. You see me, though. I don't do public drama shit. Stay up. And other McConan replied back and says, well, chop it up it's love if, if it's love it's just a conversation don't be mad that the only way i get support is if some drama going on you know the music fire you know everybody been trying to deny it it ain't no beef you stay up too so i love that ella mcclellan is still giving it to him in that regard it's still nice to see and i think he had some other interactions with him but i think in general this is a clear indication that the scene is what it is. It's fickle. It is quite what have you done for me lately. But also I don't think it's a bad thing. I think you should just use it to your advantage and try to get the most out of it because quite clearly these motherfuckers don't give a fuck about anybody, especially if they've got nothing to really offer them. So don't be too emotional in that regard. I personally think people should just take it easily. But again, you know, I can't tell him how to be offended. I can't tell him how to feel. So this kind of makes a lot of sense. Anyways, moving on. I wanted to mention this quickly. So I saw some people on the Bergheim subreddit talking about this 
um, new phenomenon that some people have been noticing. I guess it's, it's happened for a while, but I think some people are only noticing now because the club seems to be getting popular, more popular every single year and a whole new cohort of people start going there and they start noticing things and talking about them. And I feel like it's a decent discussion to have. And one of them being that some people have noticed whenever they go to Bergen and they're queuing nowadays, because the queues nowadays are fucking crazy, even on quiet weekends, you're still having to queue a minimum of like two hours and shit. It's absolutely insane during the peak hours. But some people have noticed if you go to Bergen, you'll see some people who don't queue. They're not queuing in the regular queue. They're not queuing in the guestless queue. They just walk up to the front door, have some words with the bouncers, and then they get let in with a little head nod. And usually most people would surmise that the people that get let in that way are regulars who you know live there most likely and probably go every single weekend or are kind of extended friends and family of Bergheim. now personally i don't have a problem with it i've seen it happen plenty of times and i have to be honest maybe i'm a bit of a fucking Bergheim cuck and a bit of a groupie but i legitimately smile when i see it it makes me smile when i see people rock up to one of the biggest clubs in the world and are able to kind of jump the queue and select a few people and just get walking that way because what it means is that Bergheim still, regardless of how big it is, they have this um they have this thing where they give the people at the door autonomy to kind of run who's allowed in and out. Because I think some clubs don't do that. Some clubs is basically it's a top down thing where the owners say, Hey, if the person isn't on the list, they can't get in. There is no personal relationship with the bouncers, they just basically act like security, and that's basically it. But I like that there's a kind of harmonious sort of like through line as a family type of thing that like everybody has ownership which is why they all take the club so seriously and you can't really fuck around in there because they all kind of kind of you know refer to it as their home as their house so because of that you allow the bouncers to have autonomy at the front door so they can judge who's sketchy who's not sketchy and if they are cool with somebody they can legitimately be like hey we like this person they're here all the time they're always a good vibe it's always a pleasure to see them and they can give them that courtesy by allowing them in whereas i feel like in or allowing them in without queuing well i feel like in london we don't have that regardless of how big the club is you really have to kind of dot your i's and cross your t's to make sure you're able to get into some places without having to queue you actually have to make sure that all the things that you need are sorted you can't rely on just oh yeah this person knows me i'm cool with that person no no, no because every day is different and everybody you know and the door people keep changing it's not the same person there all the time you have to really really go out your way to make it and even sometimes in london even if you throw a party at the club and you're known to be there all the time, it's not going to affect or change anything. And you have to be kind of okay with it and sort of relax and sort of let that go. I remember I recently had to kind of go through that via my time kind of going to fold. Yeah, one of the kind of biggest and best, or not biggest, but one of the best clubs that we have here in London. And I remember for a while I was going there quite often, you know. And I think, again, I think it's maybe a sense of entitlement or whatever it may be, but I guess I kind of felt like I deserve more out of just attending a club which is fucking pathetic really to be honest but just going to a club as a punter and having a good time you're thinking you deserve more you think you deserve to go in the green room you think you deserve to get in for free you deserve to get on the list all this sort of nonsense things right you deserve to play there when really no one deserves and you're not fucking entitled to anything but then over time more and more importantly i kind of started to get the vibe that one of the founders behind fold wasn't necessarily the biggest fan of me right just i don't know why maybe there was an occurrence that happened, you know, sometime you know, back in the day that might have resulted in me maybe not being, you know, chucked out or whatever. Who knows? Something may have happened there. Who knows, right? But for whatever reason, I've always got the feeling that one of the founders wasn't really the biggest fan of myself. So ever since then, it's always kind of felt a bit weird kind of 
trying to be the friend of the club when one of the main founders is always there doesn't like you and it kind of feels like you're trying to suck up to people and i am never do that right i'm never the suck up person and i've always said before that I don't say it as a brag or as a boast. I think it's kind of harmed my career in general that I can't play the game and be a little bit more shake hands, kiss babies type of shit. And I think I quickly realized that and then start basically backed away from doing, you know, going down that road and then just decided to kind of just go there as a punter. And ever since then, I feel like my life has been far better because I legitimately go there with just like, you know, wanting to have a great time which is always a great thing because I think that sometimes trying to get, I don't know, sometimes I think like getting involved in a scene maybe is something that you probably should do really hard and go extra crazy at when you're really young and don't really have much pride or don't haven't have much of personal achievement in your own life and shit and don't have much of an ego because then that can kind of set you in good stead for the future. But I feel like once you reach a certain age, it's kind of difficult to then suddenly be the <laughs> licky ass person because you just know too much, right? You just got too much information, um you've got too much whatever it's just too much you just can't do it so i could i could i personally couldn't do it so i'm happy i didn't but it is quite nice to know that a club of berlin's berkheim size sorry does have that option they do let people have that option where you know there is no such thing as a vip really even though there is not really there's no vip tables obviously there's guest lists and stuff but there is also the option that if you live there and you go there every day or every weekend and you're a good vibe and you have a good personal relationship with the door pickers bouncers wherever they however they call themselves there is the option of you being able to kind of jump the queue i kind of like that because that's a better option than having these locals and regulars jump the regular queue because that always is going to send me into a rage because i feel like that's incredibly disrespectful to people that queue especially if you don't ask for permission just assuming you should be able to jump the queue because you live in the same city the club is in it's fucking insane but I like the fact that they give the option or there is a possibility, actually, there's a possibility that they can grant you the fucking, you know, they can fucking wave the magic wand and ordain you a special, you know, type of customer, a special type of punter that's able to kind of go in there for free. Now, if that was me, I'll jump the key. If that was me and I was able to be that person regular, I would always make sure to have some cash in my pocket as a tip i wouldn't just go in there and just be expecting to go in for you know jump in the queue i expect to jump the queue i expect to get in quickly but i'd also make it sure it's worth their while by you know as a little kind of courtesy it's not like a bribe just more as a courtesy to let them know hey you know blah 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 that's what i would personally do but i think you know most people don't they just take whatever free is given to them and kind of keep it moving but i actually don't mind that there is that option i think if i like i said plenty of times i've been in the queue and i've seen people jump and go right to the front and get the little head nod it's just filled me with it's just filled me with happiness to know that there's clubs out there that do it because in london it doesn't exist like you could go to a club every single weekend here in london and they could look at you like a fucking peon every single day that you go there they're not going to give a crap you have to really really go out of your way to get on your knees suck them off and be try and be friends try and work there be a fucking bar back try and be a door picker work in a cloakroom and then maybe it might work for a night and i just don't have the patience or the ability or the capacity or the bandwidth to do that i'm just too old i've just seen too much i just can't do it unfortunately but i feel like if you can do you should be able to do it if you're younger if you're younger and you're trying to get involved in the scene i think doing that whole thing is really important like don't discount it don't look down on it um try and do it because that really will get get you a long way in terms of jumping 
you know forward in your career and also just in you know immersing yourself in it having some connections that may actually pay dividends down the line you know you may form a collective with these people you may start a little party series a little label you know all that stuff is really important to go that way but yeah i saw that post and i thought that'd be interesting to kind of comment on so big up Bergheim for having that option be available big up then for making that be available what are you guys saying you're saying what um kissing us exactly um sounds like a drug smh yes exactly they say in the secret elite vip package yeah I, I, again i like it because i think <clears throat> all these things in general they add to the law of the place you know that's what it does it adds to the overall law so everybody's under this assumption no everybody's knows kind of the vibe of the club they know you have to kind of be behaved in the queue so essentially it kind of leads to a well-behaved dance floor because everybody's kind of building up the experience of going there they want to get in they're nervous about getting in then they finally get in the last thing they're going to do is cause a ruckus so the same thing goes if you're in the queue and you saw somebody walk up to the front and just get in you might research it and google it and find out like, what the fuck's going on how, how are some people just allowed to go in like what's that queue on the other side then you'll start to get more knowledge about the club understand and maybe in the back of your mind when you keep going there every weekend you're going there with this kind of hope in the back of your mind oh maybe i might be lucky enough to become a regular that kind of gets a head nod and i'm allowed in all those things play into it so you know these little micro things that they do i feel like really help in terms of making sure people behave and also just generally just help with the ambiance because everybody that's going in there is just happy to be there happy to be part of the quote-unquote extended family however flipping cringe that may sound so big up Bergheim. continuing on from that and just kind of further getting on my knees and sucking off the fucking tate that is Berghain. we have to talk about the september lineup that just dropped the september lineup for Berghain just dropped and i am over the moon with it because again it's another return to form and again for me the biggest highlight is that the panorama bar rooms are really good the panorama bar rooms are really amazing um i think there's a lot to be said for that room i think it doesn't get the love and appreciation that it probably should get because bergen's obviously the main space but i feel like panobar is definitely up there with one of the best programmed rooms in the world when it comes to house and disco music personally for me um i really really love it because i'm not really going to go in the garden even though the garden's good and it's got good disco vibes in the summer i just can't do it with my fucking allergies and hay fever and shit it's not gonna happen so i kind of avoid it and just go when it's a bit cooler and for me when it's cooler panobar is just up there obviously one of the first weekends is one of the ones i love first weekend of september um the first of september on a friday finest fridays they got eddie folks katrina monty luke and radio slave playing in panama i'm actually surprised cause i don't know why i didn't think radio slave would be a panama dj i'd assumed he'd be more burkhiney but i'd actually really love to see radio slave play in that fucking room then the following day um, on the Saturday, they've got in Bergheim main room, they've got Firegrand Live, Answer Code Request, one of my favorites. They've got Antes, DJ Nobu, who I absolutely love. He would absolutely crush Bergheim. Um, Mary Yuzikaya playing also. You've got Pink Concrete, Quelza, who's been getting so much love and hype. I think the last event that he actually played, I forgot what end the track he played that was fucking incredible. 
it was some sort of classical tune. I wish I remember off the top of my head, but he absolutely killed it. Everybody was going crazy about it. And the other one that everyone's going really hyped about is Rekka um, Zalan, who I've seen a couple of sets of hers on, on Hoar, um, mostly kind of vinyl stuff and a really good vibe. So she's going to flipping smash it. I'm actually surprised to see that she hasn't played there sooner, but uh, Rekka Zalan debut on the 2nd of September is definitely looking very tasty. That's one of the better lineups I'm seeing. And of course, on the same day, the lineup in flipping panel bar is great, ready in lead playing. You got Annabelle Gaspar, Boy Shorts, Cult, Cormac, Garbio Quarting, Natalie Serres, Orsi, and Run Like Hell. So it's a very disco y type of vibe. Again, Cormac for me, one of the best disco DJs in the world, personally. He kind of reminds me of like the heyday of horse meat disco. He probably wouldn't take that as a compliment because maybe he thinks he's better than those guys, but. I think he's definitely a reminder of that. Like, it's just that elation, that kind of guttural feeling of just joy that he plays when it comes to disco music. The fact that he's smiling behind the decks, having a twirl, and he's one of the most, uh, you know, well manicured and impeccably dressed DJs out there in Cormac. So, big up him. Then we've got PPJ live in Seoul, and then a few other standout ones. Again, another good panel bar, Natalie Robinson and Russell Lee L. Butler playing there as well. I've got a lot of tunes of his that I play. And then we've got a this club nuts here on the following on the 9th of september is fucking crazy you got barker playing jane fitz fuck her to be honest i'm not really a fan of her personally because you know one of her fucking dull ads tried to get my channel fucking taken down because i had an opinion on something dumb that she said on the internet i forgot what it must have been it might have been some covid thing because i think she might have been one of those you know people that play during the covid thing so doing the whole play grave so you know she can get fucked but mary lake i'm a big fan of nini h i love um norman nodge of course is a legend philip apache of course great Sidif Asi, Sidif Adassi, sorry obviously resident dj there smashes it and then again in the flipping panel bar room this is one of the better ones you've got arm etap kyle luzi mary moxatia who's obviously great um Massimano Pagara playing Moxie I think who's I think the London based DJ I'm not really seen her play in a long long time so I'm not really sure what her vibe is but she probably will do well there and then Ralph and then again skip those live ones I'm really interested in that and then we've got the bite night five year anniversary happening on the 15th which looks really good um you got face fatal silent servant um Volunsky and then, of course, you've got Rekka playing in Panabar also. And then one of the other ones which I really like is this lineup for the 16th, which you've got um, Marcel Dietman. You've got Orgazon, who's great. Again, another person I discovered through Whore. I, I wonder if they got a little tie-in with clubs as well in terms of booking, because I wouldn't have known of Orgazon. I wouldn't have known of Quelza, of all these people, if I didn't see them play on fucking Whore. Even though they were all, some of them are great producers, I, I found them mostly through that platform. So I wonder if they've got a tie-in with clubs in terms of booking, or if they might even open their own club. You never know. Um, it continues. Um, then we've got Roman Flugel, Tasha, Zisco, 16th, Axel Bowman. Net N Bauchhammer, one of my favorites residents there that plays there, Roy Perez, Ruby Savage, Tamar Somo. That's going to be a good one. Matthew Johnson playing long time. They'll see Matthew Johnson. That'll be a good one. And then going down, you've got Panabar Room with uh, Baraka and Baron Yates, which would be great. And then this is this is a pretty decent one also with Mike Dunn on the 23rd in Panabar playing alongside Mike Starr that would be a great if they're playing back to back that's going to be great like one after the other Mike Dunn and then Mike Starr fucking brilliant and then we continue oh and then we've got Beautiful Swimmers also that same lineup I've got a few tunes of his and my fucking DJ box and then I guess one of the better ones is the last weekend of September which is the 30th 
you've got in Bergheim, you've got Erica, Fadi Moham, Chaco Chaco, Josie Rebel, Big Up Her, UK Ledge, Kerry, Marco Shuttle, Robert Hood, and Speedy J. Hopefully Speedy J is closing, was what most people want. And then panel by, you've got Boris, Eli Escobar, and Hada Holland, who I love, Jose Cafe, and Paramita. So some great lineups. Obviously, the ones that stand out will probably be the 30th, and then I think, as I said, the 16th, and then the first weekend. Those are going to be some of the better ones that are going to be happening there. Or sorry, or the ninth. Those are going to be some of the better ones there. But again, September lineup is looking tasty. If anything, these this hopefully should be the quieter one. So if you do want to go and you don't want to queue up too long, I'd assume these months will be the more quiet ones because there's no real big standout blockbuster lineups as they were maybe in, in July or in August. So this might be the better one to go to if you are still debating whether or not to kind of have a Burkhan experience sometime soon. So check that out. Available now on Burkhan's main website. The September 2023 lineup is out there and available. Next, we've got to talk about United because I'm absolutely frustrated and pissed off with what's happening with my fucking club. I don't know how to feel about anything. It's really fucking getting on my nerves. So we need to fucking discuss this, right? Need to, need to discuss this. So most of you will know that United finally did seal the signing of a striker. Um, so welcome Rasmus Hoyland. Um, he is now one of our newest strikers we have here, signed on the $72 million deal from Atalanta. Um, I've watched him play a couple of times. I think the game specifically I watched him play was an away game. Atalanta played against Lazio where they won 2-0 and he played up front essentially on his own and you got to see his full range of game in terms of being able to run in late into the box, his hold-up play, his poaching ability because I think a goal he scored, he actually tapped it in on the line um, and the, the fact that he's quite a physical player. He likes to kind of do the argy-bargy elbow back into the defender stuff which I love from strikers. So all good, all fucking good. But, but, he is very young, very raw, and obviously doesn't have the best goal return. And in my opinion, I felt like we always needed a strike, especially after we got rid of Ronaldo, especially now we haven't exercised the option to keep um, um, Weghorst. I would have assumed we would go out and try and sign two strikers, one senior striker and a younger striker, because at the moment, except for Martial, we don't really have a recognized number nine. Rashford can play up there, by my personal opinion, I don't think it's his best position, and I would rather he played on the wings, especially on left-hand side, cutting in. Even though during preseason we'd had this experiment with Sancho playing in the middle and whatever it may be, I just thought that would be a better to go about it. But that hasn't happened so far, which is really concerning, because I feel like going into the new season, we're not ready yet. We're not prepped to go. We're not ready. We're not firing on all cylinders. And we're in a position now where I feel like there is a possibility that things could get very hairy for us very quickly. Because to add extra insult to injury, Rasmus Hoyland, this young striker that we signed, isn't even ready to start the season. He's currently injured. There are rumours that it's a very serious back injury to it's just a precautionary thing because he's got a bit of a tweak. But either way, he's doing individual training on his own, away from the group, and he's not ready to play. So we won't be starting with this recognised striker in the new season. We'll have to start with Rashford or Sancho up front, which really does call into question why we did all the hullabaloo about Ronaldo. If we were not going to sign a striker and it wasn't going to happen, we probably should have kept him for another year and then got rid of him after the fact. Or try to sign a senior player um, who we could play in that position who wouldn't be that happy who wouldn't be that bothered right who wouldn't be that bothered about flipping playing up front on their own or wouldn't be that bothered about maybe having to be on the bench a few times here and there that's what we probably should have done but that didn't happen so I'm a bit annoyed by it the only thing that's really filling me with some sort of level of confidence is this news courtesy of Sky Sports News that West Ham have now made an improved bid 
of 30 million for Harry Maguire. And most likely, I think it's been accepted in a discussing terms. This is a good thing because overall, Harry Maguire's time at United has been absolutely abject and something that, you know, it's probably needed to end very quickly and he needed to go his separate ways. But in general, I've never kind of been a fan of his anyway. I kind of feel like we generally overpaid for him. Um, he's obviously been a disaster in terms of his ability to defend. Um, the playing style that Eric Ten Hag wants to play doesn't really suit him because he really suits a team that wants to maybe defend a bit deeper so he can have time to react to balls because his recovery pace isn't the greatest, his positional awareness isn't the greatest. But actually the way West Ham play in a defend, he'll be a perfect foil for them. And I have heard through the grapevine that people are saying that David Moyes, the manager of West Ham, has basically let Harry Maguire know that if he does join West Ham, he'll be captain and most likely he'll play every single day. So every single game, which is great for him. But still, it's not great for us because another senior member of the squad leaves. Most likely, that's not going to mean we're going to get anybody in on time. And, and there still is no news about the sale of the club. Even though um, these pages like, you know, United District is telling us that the takeover discussions are not paused and Sheikh Jassim is confident. I'm not confident because we haven't heard anything from the Glazers. They are purposely, it feels like, really, really dragging their feet with the sale. They're, you know, announcing new kit deals. Um, they're putting out new kits. All the things are happening instead of actual timelines and updates as to when they will sell the club and give it to new ownerships so that we can have the ability to maybe restart and try to do things better than we did before because in my humble opinion the Glazers have been one of the worst owners of all time and definitely one of the worst owners that we've had at the club in terms of their you know inability and refusal to invest properly in rebuilding the club rebuilding the stadium rebuilding the facilities investing in the long-term future of the club wanting to win trophies it just seems like all they care about is finishing in the top four and kind of papering over the cracks so the sooner that we get the Glazers out the better but let's kind of quickly cover this um, article courtesy of United District that talks about the negotiations with the um, Saudi um, group in terms of led by Sheikh Jassim in terms of their confidence of buying a club which I'm not too confident about because I feel like they are kind of pulling a fast one so it says as follows um, according to the take, the take discussions are currently taking place in multiple parties and are still on. This is according to Mike Keegan of Daily Mail, who has been at the forefront of breaking the news. It is claimed the Glazer family are negotiating with many parties for Eric Hag's club, um, with the view of a partial investment or full takeover happening. Neither option has been ruled out. So, in my humble opinion, I've always had the feeling that the Glazers would prefer to get partial investment and then keep the lion's share majority of the club ownership because obviously they can extract more money at the club. They get more investment to invest into it. They don't have to put their own hand in their pocket and they can still pull out money along the ways too. So it kind of, you know, it's, it's the best of both worlds. But if they kind of sell the club outright, yes, they'll get a big chunk of money, but there'll be no more, you know, there'll be no more flipping money's paid for them from the Bank of Man United in that regard. So, and, and knowing that they're, you know, parasitic leashes in how they approach the club, I always thought they would do that. But then news came out that the Saudi conglomerate, the Saudi contingent, did actually put in a bid that was making them consider a full sale and then people started to get giddy. But so far, I've got no, op I've got no reason to feel like they want to do the full sale personally. It continues. So it's claimed that the Glazer family are negotiating and um, those surrounding the bid from the Qatari businessman Sheikh Jassim are still said to be confident that they will prevail in the purchase of the club after the fifth bid was deemed to be the largest for any put forward. The bid, however, still did not reach the six billion that has been asked for. And the reason why this is really questionable is because recently they announced a new kit deal um, with Adidas. I think it's going to kick in in 2024. And one of the main concerns for people like myself who are skeptical that the deal is going to go through is that 
if you're going to sell the club, agreeing a kick deal with Adidas seems like a weird thing to do. Really, you you think you want to kind of wrap up your business and then just hand over the keys to the new owners and let them do what they want to do. But handing the new owners a deal that you've agreed during the negotiations of you selling seems a bit strange. But maybe this is what they're also doing in on behalf of the new owners. Who knows? It continues. It says the other major bidder, British billionaire Sir Jim Ratcliffe, who we don't want, um, has offered to buy either 51% or 69% of the club, with the former allowing Joe and Avron to keep this share, while the latter will just be their option of the club and allow 59% of the currently to be available to NSC to the New York Stock Exchange. Most United fans would want to get rid of the Glazers outright, myself included. I think the Glazers have been awful owners. I feel like we need a change. We need a new fresh start and we just want to get rid of the Glazers outright. So for me, it's a full sale or nothing, personally. I don't want this whole partial investment thing. I want them to be gone completely. Like every trace of the Glazers to, be leave, to leave the club, to get fired, whatever it may be. And the only way to do so is to get a full sale. So unfortunately for me, um, Sir Jim Ratcliffe, rat being the you know where do we need to you know focus on there should not be the option and it continues here said in reports of majesty that it was felt by some individuals in the process that the discussion for the club had been paused although the news contradicts this the sale process has been now dragged on for nine months with no sign of when or if it will ever eventually end so it's looking like one of the most longest you know club sales in history again it makes sense because Mariner is one of the biggest clubs in the world we generate a lot of money so it's going to be a complicated process it's never going to be easy but god almighty mate they are really making us work for us they're really making us work for it and it's kind of you know killing me it's killing me little by little but i'm hoping there is a resolution the only thing that's kind of bumming me out is stuff like this this is what's bumming me out right where is it this stuff seeing roy Keane, one of the staunchest you know anti you know one of the staunchest anti-glazer ex-pros in the club now modeling the third kit Again, it's the fucking third kit. Not the, not the away kit, the second kit. The fucking third kit is what he's modeling. And all of a sudden now, the Glazers' money is good. There was a period in time where Roy Keane would be one of the loudest critics of the Glazers, maybe even more so than Gary Neville. But this is kind of further proof that all of our ex-pros have a price. You know, they can be bought out, basically. Which, again, goes to show the, you know, outsized influence, power, kind of control the Glazers have had on their perception especially in the UK because they just silence people by uh, either taking away their access to the club or by giving them money in their pocket which makes it impossible for you to say anything bad about them because maybe you got to sign an NDA or because you feel a bit guilty because you set their money and now you can't criticize them on TV so it's just a bit disappointing to see the legend Roy Keane you know fucking modeling these fucking shirt I fucking hate it but it kind of is what it is I guess it kind of is what it is and I'm now hoping that the sale can go through very, very soon. But again, I'm not holding my breath. I'm really fucking not holding my breath. So let's see how this kind of plays out. Let's see how this kind of plays out. Anyways, I'm going to leave it there for now. I've been ranting and raving about this nonsense forever. I don't want to waste too much of your time. Thank you so much for tuning in and being here with me. It's been a pleasure. Never, ever a chore. If you've enjoyed this pod and you've enjoyed everything I've been speaking about, make sure you share this with your friends. If you listen to this via the audio pod, you should be hearing my tune of the day playing underneath my voice as I speak. 
but for now i will leave you and hope that you should have a good day wherever you may be hopefully sunshines and rainbows are gonna come across your way even even not there in a physical way just in terms of metaphorically sunshine and rainbows do come over you and you have a splendid day wherever you may be and i will see you guys on the other side but for now thank you for tuning in it's always been a pleasure never a chore and i'll see you guys again very soon take care everybody peace out peace